Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. It has been a while, like a month, since we've had a legit full episode, and we are back to bring you a full episode. I am Derek, one of your regular hosts of the show, my uh, co-host, co-captain, Greg, is still doing an away mission, mission, mission. Uh, and so he will not be joining me this week. Probably not next week, but we'll have some cool content for you guys. In fact, uh, I'm bringing two friends with me on this mission. Um, returning guest on the show, Zach. Hello. Well, thank you. And, I mean, you may have been, like, the last person on a real <laughs> yeah. episode, actually. I'm a semi-regular. <laughs> I'm a tertiary character in the show now. <laughs> um, and Ray. I'm also a returning guest. I was on your panel at Planet Comic Con, oh. and I thoroughly helped it along when there was awkward silences. <laughs> there were awkward silences, yes. But you're also a co-host on the Heroes Podcast Network. You do Screen Heroes with me? I do Screen Heroes. I do Costume Couture. I'm looking to do an anime show at the beginning of 2019, and if Zach would ever be ready for me, an Avatar show. Hey, I bought the Blu-ray. I started watching it. <laughs> yeah. You got sidetracked with another show, because I was trying to talk to you about it, but yeah. Once, uh, anytime you're ready, we will... Let's do this. We'll Avatar this. New show, tomorrow. New show. <laughs> so this is Red Shirts and Runabouts. We talk, we talk Talking about, about Avatar. We talk about Star Airbender. Trek. Uh, Star Trek. Rachel got me sidetracked. That was when we first bonded over. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what we got for you today is uh, we are taking a break from the Mechbah until Greg returns. And in the meantime, we will be continuing our Star Trek movie reviews. So we have completed the first six movies, the motion picture through Undiscovered Country. And we are going to be doing Star Trek Generations today. And so next week, if Greg does not return, we're also going to do First Contact, the three of us together. Fun. Awesome. You know, and we'll see My what favorite. happens from there. I have a small request. Ooh. When you eventually get to Into Darkness, may I heavily sedate you? <laughs> I may skip that one. <laughs> You're not on that episode. It has to be done. It's very be, unfair if it's not done. It'll be a really short episode. Welcome to the Red Shirts and Runabouts. Today we're going to be reviewing Star Trek Into Darkness. It sucks. All right, we'll catch you guys next week. Oh. I, I will be on that episode as the only voice that uh, has some positive things to say about the movie. It's not my favorite by a long shot. It's not the best of Trek, but I do have some some very. I'm very alone in my positive thoughts for that movie. That's okay because tonight we're talking about a movie that's not the best of like, Trek. Yeah, <laughs> Into Darkness put the Cassians in live action, and that was cool. That's true. Come on. An argument could be made made that Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, did that. I didn't see the... Yeah, you fell asleep. Uh, Yeah, because it was boring. The woman that that, they throw... Kirk throws into the 
the water pool table. Yes. So, yes. Because it's future pool. Um, <laughs> anyway. All right. So before we go into our generations discussion, we do have a few pieces of Trek news, which we cover when that's available. Because uh, those who don't know, we, we actually review Discovery as it airs. So we try and keep up on things. Um, first off, we have a little bit of uh, information on the Picard show. So uh, Picard is returning. Patrick Stewart is reprising his role for a Picard series on CBS All Access. Um, they are in the very early stages of this and Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart tweeted a photo of the writer's room, which included himself, of course, and Kirsten Beyer, who I am a huge fan of, uh, among some other people. And so we got a first, first little peek. Is that exciting for either of you? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. Wow. For me, I was I was about to say something, but I didn't want to interrupt Rachel. Uh, but yeah, no, for me, that's very exciting. Um, I think I've told you guys actually, you know, not on a podcast before that, um, you know, the last two years, things are a little, I'm not going to get into it, but things are a little heavy and there are moments where I think like, oh God, I remember like the world we're living in and it's just a downer. But since they announced the Picard show, all of random days where I'm feeling kind of down, I'm like, oh my God, we're getting a Picard show. <laughs> And it has the opposite effect. So uh, I'm very excited about the show. That's cute. I do think that, I mean, I see what they're doing and, and I get that, you know, they're just sharing what they're working on, but it's so preliminary at this point. There's not a whole lot to get excited on. Um, and so I am a little cautious in my optimism, um, but I mean, I don't know. This is the, the time is right. It, I think it'd be, it's a good time for uh, a strong leader like that to return to our screens and uh, just... I'm a big fan of Patrick Stewart and that character, of course, as a lot of us are. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, and the, the picture, it's like, okay, it's cool. Like, they're working on something. I'll probably be a bit more pumped when they have a, a trailer. Yeah, I'm just glad to know that it's actually moving forward, that something is happening. Right. You know, that they're having meetings, they're having conversations. Um, it's not just a pipe dream. I need a little more <laughs> substance. You know, like, a, a behind-the-scenes photo doesn't get me all hot and bothered like it used to. And I think that's just me being jaded from Screen Heroes since so much stuff is always announced before it actually happens that now I like I know this is happening. I trust Patrick Stewart with my life. So mm -hmm. I get it, but I just I don't let my hopes get very high by a production photo. I sure. you know I get really excited about announcements um, when other actors are more interested in playing a role. Segway, James McAvoy wants to be young Picard. And <laughs> I don't care how they do this in the TV show or in a live action, like reboot of TNG. Like if, if they do that, uh, what they've done with the, uh, TOS cast, I, I would love him to play oh, young Picard. Yeah. There's some really good fan casting out there. My favorite yeah. though is Kristen Ritter as Deanna Troy because okay. Troy is so polar opposite of Jessica Jones that it would yeah. be fun to see her as both. So yes, yeah, so you're referring to uh, the, the photo that Patrick Stewart posted. Mm -hmm. James McAvoy commented on it and said that he would be willing to, uh, <laughs> to play young Picard and right. he would work for autographs. He has the experience. Um, I mean, I think it would be great if they wanted to do flashbacks to P Picard's earlier days in the show and they, yeah. they needed an actor. Why not? He's already played a young version of a Patrick Stewart character in the yeah. X-Men movies. All the X-Men movies are so divisive and polarizing. <laughs> yeah. But Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are now best friends. Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy are now best friends. And the four yeah. of them hang out regularly. Like, yeah. 
if there are four men I want to run a train on me, it's sitting right there. Like, I love them. It's so great that they're best friends. So Might yeah. be a problem for Sir Ian. But, <laughs> you know. But um, he'll be there and supportive. Won't work out details. <laughs> he can hold the camera. <laughs> so, so um, other people on the, the Twitter verses and things like that have pointed out that it shouldn't be McAvoy. It should be Tom Hardy again. Because Tom Hardy actually played a clone uh. of Picard. Um, in the Nemesis film, which we'll get to at some point. And but Tom Hardy's aged quite a bit, though. Yeah, see, that's the key. Tom Hardy today looks nothing like well, that Tom He's Hardy. had to bulk up so much for his other roles. Yeah. You know, right after Nemesis, he did Bronson, and he has stayed pretty much the Bronson size this entire time. So I don't really think that's fair. I also... Like, considering how hurt he was by Nemesis, I don't think he wants to go back anytime soon. That's yeah. Let that's somebody right. Nemesis do hurt it. a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Show me on the doll where Nemesis hurt you. <laughs> this general area. Um, all right. So, so, uh, so that's the Picard show. That's what we have going on there. Um, short tracks will, by the time you're hearing this, will already have its first short out. Which one is Oct- it going to be? October 4th, uh, mm-hmm. Runaway. Mm-hmm. Which one does that have to deal with? Yeah, which character is it focused yeah. on? I can't remember. Uh, I read it earlier. Is it but... Tilly? So, right. So, the first one is called Runaway. It airs October 4th on CBS All Access. Um, it from Okay, so there's a couple of issues I just want to get out of the way here. So, there's an international rights issue. So, a lot of people who are not in the United States are uh, frustrated and upset that they have not been told when or if they'll be able to see. Will the country of Jordan get it? Because I have a feeling his king, their king, will make shit happen. Something tells me he'll get it. Uh, for those who random, for those who don't know, the king of Jordan actually got to be an extra on an episode of Voyager. He is a huge Trekkie, yeah. and they have a Star Trek theme park. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so Runaway is the first one. Um, I lost my train of thought. We're talking about international rights. Yes. Netflix has not announced when people will be able to see those in other countries. However, Space TV in Canada appears to be airing it on Thursday. Um, there is a TV guide type posting that shows it on the schedule. Huh. Um, so that's good news for our Canadian friends, but we don't really know anything else about the rest of the world, which is, you know, just a few more people than those in the United States who will have access to CBS All Access. Like six billion. <laughs> like, like most of the planet's population, it's fine. Um, so I assume that it will be available on Netflix and it's a matter of time and working out the international licensing deals. I don't think this is CBS trying to do anything weird or a misstep. I think it's really just the logistics of trying to work out licensing rights for dozens and dozens of countries. Right. Uh, it's not easy. It's why Netflix is doing the international versus CBS doing it here domestically, you know. Which is a little political and it's a little messy, but as a side note, I would like to highlight that this is something that's so awesome about Trek is its international appeal and it is its uh, inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. Across, across all kinds of different boundaries. So Absolutely. Trek is meant for everybody. It so is. So if everybody doesn't have access to it, I would be frustrated as well. Yeah. Kind of goes Trek belongs what... to us all. Exactly. So uh, they're going to be airing one short every month <clears throat> starting this week uh, with Runaway. On Thursday, November 8th will be Calypso, which is the episode about Kraft who finds, um, finds himself stuck on a deserted ship with just the computer's AI. Then there's The Brightest Star on December 6th, which is the Saru episode where we learn about his home world and his family. And then The Escape Artist on January 3rd, which is the Harry Mudd dun, episode. Dun, dun. 
Now, um, the, we'll segue into a, a bit of a conversation about that timeline, but I just wanted to ask you guys, do you think one 10 to 15 minute short is enough to get you to sign up for CBL, CBS All oh, Access? Oh, come on. It's not, not even a little bit. Like, I don't watch any other CBS show. No. I mean, there's they have a couple new sitcoms this fall that look appealing, but not enough for me to watch on a weekly basis. They mm-hmm. look appealing enough for me to catch when they're on all... The, the entirety of the first season's already on right. there. Like, I don't want to catch it week by week. So, uh, absolutely not, you so, know. We're talking about the runtime of, like, one, one episode. Hour? Yeah, you know, an hour, like, you know, close to one episode of, of Star Trek. Like, I'm going to binge these right before the next season. And, mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. Like, if they, they want to get their plan of having a Star Trek show out at all times... Great, then I'll be a year-long subscriber to CBS All Access because there will always be a Trek show for me to be mm-hmm. watching. Right. But we're not there yet, so it's just it's just not worth the investment. And also, don't get me wrong, I absolutely adore this idea. This is something I've wanted Marvel to do from the very oh, beginning because yeah. I believe they have a lot to tell. So in between each movie, maybe you have a 30, 45-minute small plot based on yeah. really good comic book arch- arcs that were shorter you know it's not as long withstanding so i think this is a great move having digital content that is exclusive but expands on your brand is something that fans want Mm -hmm. and your yeah so i think it's a great move i'm just it's not enough content for me to pay it first yeah fair enough um we did a poll on twitter so if you follow us at red shirts pod on Twitter. Uh, you could have voted in the poll, but follow us because we do polls on a fairly regular basis. And I asked people, you know, what, how they were feeling about, about this. And they had four options because that's the max on Twitter. Um, they were, uh, one option was to keep signed up. So for people who never cancel their subscription to begin with, they will sign up for the shorts. They're waiting for season two of discovery or they're never signing up for CBS all access at all. <laughs> There's a lot of those vocal, like there people. are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, really, the way this worked out is a third, literally 33%, actually have stayed signed up the entire year. Really? They're watching Young Sheldon? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what well, else are you well, doing with your to life? To be fair, you can rewatch all Star Trek. Well, of course. Right, right. And so people have been rewatching Discovery, rewatching the older shows and the movies, which is cool. Um, there are a lot of cord cutters out there, and there are CBS shows that are on the backlog out there, things like Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. and, and that and the like. Um, and there are people who just straight up for them they'd ra- they'd rather that money go towards a company that's producing Star Trek, right? Um, that's fair. You know. Yeah. Now, second, uh, first place and actually, CSL Access is banking on that. That's right. why this is working for them. Now, at thirty eight percent is people who are waiting for season two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thirteen percent. Thirteen percent will sign up for the shorts. They they canceled when the show went off the air and will come back now that there's something okay. to watch. And then 16% said that they would never sign up for CBS All Access. So, you know, the majority of people are at least watching it. Yeah. Right, in some capacity. Um, and I hate to be a Ferengi about it, but that profit margin makes sense for CBS to continue yeah. doing what they're doing. So Absolutely, absolutely. So that's where we're at there. Um, so I know some people are upset that it's at, you know uh, once a month. However, it looks like uh, Discovery will be coming back a little bit sooner than some mm-hmm. of us had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Yep. Today, and this is Monday, the 1st of October, uh, it was announced that Discovery will be returning in January 2019 until today we had heard early 2019. Uh, the 
realist in me thought that meant maybe March or April, uh, you know, because Discovery had been delayed a couple of times previously. Just a couple. Just a couple. But, like, Um, over a year. But for a January release, with Harry Mudd's episode uh, being in the first week of January, we could end up seeing Discovery the following Monday. Or, you know, Sunday night, that is. I'm hoping Um, that's the idea. Right. Well, if if you signed up for Short Treks, they don't want to lose that momentum and have those subscriptions lapse before season two starts so that's smart i'm totally with that so yeah so discovery january pretty exciting will you be doing an episode on each short or are you going to do an episode uh, about all four of them together it's a great question uh so at this time greg and i have not talked about whether or not we're going to sign up for and watch the short treks and we should just stop talking about this so we'll have to get back to you guys (laughs) let's talk about generations you'll have to stay tuned in a later episode oh goodness uh yes all right so let's go ahead we're going to take a quick break here and then we are going to talk about star trek generations are you with the force is the force with you well, the Force is with us over at the Echo Station Podcast, a new Star Wars series from the Heroes Podcast Network. Join us in a galaxy not so far away every other Monday as we discuss everything Star Wars from the original films through the whole EU. So pour yourself some blue milk and get cozy in that tauntaun with the Echo Station Podcast. Find out more at heroespodcast.com. All right, and we are back. So, Star Trek Generations, the first of the next-gen films, even though we start with some classic TOS characters. Um, general feelings, Wessels. thoughts, Wessels. before we dive into details, how do you feel about Generations in the sense of even the 10 Prime movies or all 13? I am unaffected by its existence. <laughs> I do re- we really need the TOS cast to like do the baton pass? I, I get that there was an idea that they wanted to do. I understand the logic behind it, but it wasn't necessary. I rewatched this last night to prepare for this podcast, and I got distracted a lot. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, oh man, this is not a great movie. But it's not like so bad that it offends me either. It's not like Star Trek right. uh, 5. See, I, um, this movie's fine. Right? right. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are some great, fun moments in this, but. Yeah. Like, the, the part where they're on the ship, on the Enterprise, the. The sailing vessel on, on the sea, like, <laughs> yeah. with Lord. Yeah. Yes. That's fantastic. That is a fun scene. Everything from the start to finish, it's great. And yeah. I I stopped the movie and I turned to you, Derek, and I was like, I think Riker's the type of man that's, like, responsible for the mermaid myth. Like, he's the type of guy that would see a manatee and be like, that's a hot lady. Why not? That's <laughs> retract the plank, not remove the plank. <laughs> Of course, sir. Um, I love that moment. I still yeah. crack up at that every it's, time. It's a good one. You know he did that on purpose. Of that course wasn't a mistake. Of course he did. Um, I don't know. I I think it's fine. I don't get bored with it. I don't get distracted with it. It's definitely nowhere near as interesting as, say, the movies that surround it. Seriously. The Undiscovered Country and First Contact. I think maybe that's where it gets a bit more of a hit because it happens to be between two of the best, Absolutely. you know, of the Star Trek films. Um, easily the best TNG Star Trek film, and then arguably the best, if not number two, of the TOS oh, films. Yeah. Right? So, um, 
Yeah. So I guess let's just dive right into it. So your point about, you know, the, the b- baton to- uh, handing off, baton tossing, whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, it kind of was a baton toss. Yeah, it was a reckless toss of baton. <laughs> it was Shatner, just... like, didn't want to give up a baton. He's like, fine, yeah. fuck it, you can have this. Yeah, exactly. So Leonard Nimoy was actually supposed to reprise his role as Spock, mm-hmm. uh, but he didn't think it mattered. He thought the dialogue was so basic and uh, g- generic that you could put anybody else in the role and it wouldn't matter. And wrong? to kind of prove his point, Scotty and Chekhov basically just say the same lines that Spock would have said. Yeah. Is what Nimoy would, you know, had said in some interviews. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah. I was thinking about how it was a damn shame that we didn't see Sulu and Ahura and Spock. And then I kept thinking about it, and I'm like, but what the hell are they going to do? Like, there's nothing... Like, most of the people on that bridge right now are useless. You add three more people, and it's going to be even worse. So... Oh, I forgot about Bones. I'm so sorry. No offense to Forrest Kelly. I know you can hear me in the afterlife. But, like, the the end of uh, Final Frontier was just so beautiful and poignant, and it was just this perfect send-off to that cast. Like, bringing any of them back for a baton uh, toss... Uh, felt very forced. It wasn't necessary. I mean, I, I, I understand did... it to a point, right? Because mm-hmm. this is the first movie with the new cast. Right. Right. And so there's still a good chunk of the population. I think it was like a total give in, I guess. To Shatner's to ego. Shatner. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Because that's Cause... not what Shatner is on the record saying. He's on the record saying that he was given a choice. He was given a choice. Do this role as it's written, uh-huh. or they'll kill him off screen. Sure. And so he took the role. It wasn't his idea. But that that's ego right there. He's yeah. like, do I want to be on screen again or not? But the yes. thing is, they, they offered him the role and basically right. told him, we're killing your character. You can either be part of it or not. Yeah. And he chose to be a part of it. And I can respect that sure. decision. See it wasn't his through. idea. He doesn't want Kirk to die. No. That's why he's he resurrecting him in the books. books. You know, yeah. Kirk's died a dozen times in the books. You know, um, this really, I think, had more to do with the studio wanting that bridging of the gap for the population that only sees the movies. Yeah. And didn't watch seven years of TNG to know that this cast is as good as it is. Though, to be fair, at this point, uh, I mean, the next gen cast had seven seasons of a show, a very successful show that, like, they had more episodes than the original series cast at this point, even if you include the movies. And more accolades. And more accolades. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, the theater audience, right? For sure. It's still the theater audience that, that may not watch the show. Right. Interviews with Shatner are always back and forth. He (laughs) clearly loves and hates Star Trek for what it's done with his life. He clearly loves and hates himself. Yeah. It it feels that way because there was a recent documentary I watched and, you know, they talked about TOS and when he found out they were doing TNG without him, he was so bitter and, uh, like, called and yelled at Roddenberry multiple times, so... You know, it doesn't surprise me that he would ask for this as opposed to being offered. And so, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I it's not that I don't believe him. It's just I want him to prove the uh, his case. I like, mean, he's wanted to come back in the in the Kelvin timeline movies. I wanted him to come back in the Kelvin timeline yeah. movies. Yeah, I mean, the proposed he, scenes on, would have been pretty good. MTV Awards, he begged... Uh, What's his name? Abrams for a job. He was like, yeah. "Cast me. Why is Nimoy there?" Man. I mean, that's. I don't. I, Shatner loves Captain Kirk. 
Yes. He loves that persona. He loves that character. I do not believe for an instant that he wanted Kirk to die in Generations. No, I agree with you there. So, now, alright. So, I actually didn't want him to die in Generations. I don't think that was a fitting end to Captain Kirk. And I thought that his no. character would have been really cool interacting with the next generation. I don't think he should have been a mainstay in the films or at all. Like, I don't think he should have continued right. in First Contact, but I thought, like, his death was cheesy. That fight scene was horrible. Let's never watch two 60-year-old men fight again. Like, <laughs> please? Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you there. I mean, three 60-year-old men, really. <laughs> yeah, I forget yeah. Malcolm McDowell's there the oh, entire yeah. time. Yeah. I just keep remembering Shatner fighting the bridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so, all right. So, about the clockwork orange. So, we, we're, we're on the, <laughs> the Enterprise B. We've got Ferris Bueller's best friends. Yes! Yeah, Cameron. Um, Who was like twice as old as Ferris Bueller in that film. Yeah. <laughs> he was so old. He um, has Cap- Captain Harriman and always gets a bad rap. I feel like he gets a really bad rap because of this movie. Yes. This is his only, this is the only time you see the Enterprise B and... Um, Does Rachel take over right after him or is there a captain well, in between? Or? Well, there's, there's different ships. She's the Enterprise C. Got it. Sorry. Yeah, so you're right. He's, in canon, he's captain quite a while and was very successful. And to be the captain of a new Enterprise means that he must have had some significant career prior to that moment. Sure. Right. So you know, being put in this really like no win scenario, that's like a real Kobayashi Maru that he's put into. Right. It's basically the equivalent of like you like the entire universe knowing you for like this one moment that was like a month into your most recent career it's like okay you saw me for a day and it wasn't even a particularly good day and now you're judging all of my accomplishments based on that day a hundred percent unfair first of all you're in front of the guy that everybody deems a starfleet hero you know like the living legend captain kirk like that's unfair most people would be intimidated and not be able to perform as best as they could Secondly, your ship is unfit to do this mission. He knew it. He tried to get out of it. And instead, he's forced into it. So, I mean, I think the only thing he could have done is probably given command over to Captain Kirk a little earlier. But otherwise, he is put in a very unwinnable situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you leave space dock. You don't have a medical team. You don't have a tractor beam. You don't have photon torpedoes. That's a minimum what he's missing. I'm sure they're missing more stuff that they just didn't even get to, right? Um, and it, bits. it falls into <laughs> the the one of the, the Trek tropes that I really find annoying, which is the "We're the only ship in the sector, Captain." <laughs> get some more ships. You just Starfleet. left the dock. There's you know. no way you're the only ship in the sector, right? right? Like, is it only no ship way. in range? Okay, well we have it. We, we're at the asteroid belt. We yeah. haven't even gotten to Pluto yet, which is as far as we're supposed to go from Earth. You're telling me that the only ship at Earth is the Enterprise B. That's the only ship. They're <laughs> all off right now. What do you want? What's in Earth space dock? Every time the Enterprise is in Earth space dock, there's other ships in there. Right. Right? Um, so that always bothers me when they use that trope in Star Trek. Sure. And they did that here yeah. as well, except they used in range. Which I appreciate it was a little more vague of a term. Because they always say something silly. Like, we're the only ship in the quadrant. And you're like, I don't think so. That word doesn't mean what you think it means. Uh, but, That's uh, only the case for Voyagers. Sorry, buddy. So, yeah. You know, at least they said range. Which, you know, what I guess that's a subjective term, right? Well, what was the range? We don't know. It's a very short range. Um, so, 
we meet Guinan for the first time chronologically. Well, kind of chronologically, I guess. The Nexus time, time little, arrow. It's a little wibbly wobbly in the Nexus. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you guys feel about Soren being another one of you know the Alorians, her species? I want to know if everybody else is an Alorian. Yeah. The, and on the the forty six yeah people, forty seven people. I want to know if if they're Alorians too. That's all. Otherwise, it makes sense that there are more people of her race. <laughs> right, I agree. I've always wanted to know, like, watching the show more about her race. She's very intriguing and mysterious, and so uh, I don't feel like we got enough information about her. Yeah, it's it's always hard to say. I mean, we know that there's nothing really left of her species by the TNG era. Sure. Um, she makes that fairly clear. But flashbacks, man, come on. But, well, I just mean, like, those 47 people could all be... You know, from the, the same species or not, I'm not sure it makes much of a difference to the right. story. Um, and I'm not even sure that it matters a whole lot that Soren is an Alorian either. Uh, it does it's, it's easily forgettable. If I mean, you're not paying attention. I guess it means he doesn't age. Yeah, right. Like that's why by the TNG timeline, he's he hasn't aged. He like looks Guinan the exact hasn't aged. Same. Right. Yeah. Like his scar healed. That's about it. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so that make I guess maybe that's the excuse for it because we know Guinan's a few hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the Nexus, mm-hmm. right? That's the whole pinnacle of the movie. That's your, your briefcase with the light in it, right? That's your yeah. big, big MacGuffin, MacGuffin. Is, is the Nexus. Um, how did you guys feel about that as a, as a device? The Nexus is cool. Yeah. It's a really interesting concept. I don't think they utilize it to its full potential. Um, I thought it was really cool as a side note, like a handful of years ago when we were all playing Star Trek online and the Nexus was like the holiday event. You could travel to Nexus and like oh, there were snowball fun. fights and stuff. Like it was a cool event. Uh, and I do feel like the Nexus in and of itself uh, is just not as fully explored as it could be. I, I'm really glad that they didn't overuse it and the metaphors for heaven didn't get overused because yeah. they easily could. Obviously, the metaphors in Final Frontier for God got really intense and silly. Were they even so, metaphors at that to, point? To be fair, they were right. actually going to find God. No, yeah, you're right. So. You're right. <laughs> it's just, I, I'm glad that the Nexus wasn't portrayed as heaven like it could have been. It yes. easily could have been. And instead, it's this... Like, weird, wacky, dimensional rift, and we've seen that done in a lot of sci-fi, so it was a lot less philosophical and much more Twilight Zone-y. Sure. Okay. That's reasonable. Um, so the, the science behind the Nexus has always kind of bothered me a little bit, because you can just leave it, mm-hmm. right? So Picard and Kirk just leave the Nexus, or are right. they still technically in the Nexus, Right? Like, how, yeah. how? I'm not sure how that really works exactly. Um, the idea that, I mean, while they were on the ship, I guess if they if the Enterprise B had left them there, they all would have died when the ships exploded, or would they have been in the Nexus? Kind of like, it's, uh, not Pandora's box, uh, Schrod- it's the Schrodinger's, uh, Schrodinger's Nexus? Nexus, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, like it being Pandora. Yeah, Pandora, Pandora's a little, yeah. So that, that always bothered me a little bit. You know, the idea that you can go anywhere, anytime, um, and Picard chooses to do that rather than show up, like, on the Enterprise again and, you know, avoid yeah. everything that's going on. A little out of character. No, I think that's totally fair that he goes straight to the 
kid metaphor with his brother and uh, nephew passing away just slightly he, earlier. Yeah. Well, that's not what I meant. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant when he leaves the Nexus. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, so let's talk about the Picard family situation in this movie. Um, so, first off, if you felt, if you watched this movie and you felt like it kind of came out of nowhere, uh, that he had a family and that it was important to him at all, there's actually an episode of TNG called Family. Uh, that takes place directly after The Best of Both Worlds, Part 1 and 2, uh, after Picard was assimilated by the Borg and then brought back. And it has to do with how he's handling the PTSD from that. Uh, it's one of the rare instances of TNG not being episodic. Um, you know, he it's a direct continuation. Um, so that's there's some importance there. Um, and you're not wrong, but that is also one episode out of, like, a hundred and some. So, like, statistically speaking, like, yeah. the family aspect has been missing from Picard, which says a lot about him as a character. And that, um, not to say that, that this was a weakness of generations, more so it was just a uh, a snapshot into a very intimate piece of who Picard is that we didn't get to see much of in the, in the show. Because there wasn't room for it. Because the way Starfleet was structured, yeah, you could have families on board, but the role of a captain is very difficult to have close intimate emotional ties and and to maintain that plus your duty so that's one of my least favorite things about most of trek is there uh, familial bonds are often overlooked and i don't Mm -hmm. believe that i could personally be on a ship like that and not have some sort of family to go to every night or something like that like and it bums me out that so many people hate wesley but you know, he they had that. They had a really cute relationship. So they did. There's a lot of family stuff in in Trek. Not to go on too much of a tangent, but you've right. got you've got Wesley and, and Beverly Crusher. You've got Worf and Alex. Um, you've got. I really like the Cisco's. Yes, I was gonna the say, Cisco's. Yes, really I, yeah. I mean he's the captain, and he's got a kid, and you know, he's um, a single parent. Rom, less, right, single cool. parent. Rom's got Nog. Yeah, um, you know, in Voyager, uh, Janeway was engaged. Yeah, you yeah. know, with every intention of of getting married, you know, um, and had dogs at home. And you've got Naomi Wildman, who um, you know is born on the ship very early on. You've got relationships like. Tom oh, and I Bellana. get it. It just seems that the majority of the characters yes. are single. They are, or like by choice, like Picard or poor Jordy. Poor Jordy. Lack yeah. of game, and um, or polyamorous like Riker and Troy, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever that is. is. Yeah, I think it's more of a TNG thing because I think if you look at DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise, there's some relationships going on there, even if you know Archer's is just his dog. But it right? was a nice moment for Picard, mm-hmm. you know, and to see that side of him because he was he was sh- he was shook. And so. I, I adore when he points out the negatives of being the captain because it always comes with this bite to it because you know he wouldn't do anything else with his life because he's gotten the opportunities before and he still chooses this life but he he knows the great regret that comes with his life too so i maybe that's just Stuart being the fantastic actor that he is well yeah i mean if you ever if you just watch the honest trailer of TNG, right? Like, he's had to pull off some ridiculous stuff on that show um, as a Shakespearean actor, and he mm-hmm. always always brings his A-game. Nails um, it. Mm-hmm. You know, though, uh, there, there's some amazing stuff there. But 
the dream, the not dream sequence, but the nexus sequence where he ends up in 18th century England with his yeah, family. Yeah, why the hell does um, he choose that timeline? Yeah. It's weird that, and he's still wearing his uniform. Papa. Which I thought was odd. When, when was a uh, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Were they trying to draw on that comparison? Well, was the set still available? Hold on. Like, he played Scrooge at one point in his career. Like, at what time did that line up? Like, yeah, was generations before or after? Were they filming at the same time Generation, and borrowed a set? Generations like, was 1994. I don't know when Scrooge. His I'm going to look it up was, right but, now. You guys talk um, without me for a second. So here's here's the thing that's really weird about this sequence, right? He's immediately dropped into, I guess, what his ideal family is, which is married with four kids in an old-style home with no technology. Sure. But there's still... the, The reason he's able to leave... I think is the reason he's wearing the uniform still. Right. That no matter he what, let go of that. That's who he is. Mm-hmm. He is the captain of the Enterprise. That's a well, nice sentiment. Yeah. It's also telling that like, was this a dream scenario for him, or was it just like this like late in life, grass is greener on the other side, pondering like, how would my life have been different if I made dramatically different choices? I mean, he seems genuinely happy when he finally realizes what's going on. Right. You know, the whole these are my children line and yeah. you know, all, seeing Robert uh, and all that. Um, the timing, though, with his grief and his career being at the stage that it was. I mean, not to say that it's less legit or that his. Yeah, not to say that his. Uh, um, his response is not sincere or, or real, but it's just like, I mean, timing. Like, there have been times in my life where certain things sounded particularly good, even if they weren't best for me or in, mm. in line with who I am. Yeah, I guess I, I it's took... It's taking way too long to find this. I'm just going to give it. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I took it as, because Picard and Kirk are both still in their uniforms, that in itself is showing who they are mm-hmm. on the inside. Right, their environment may have changed from being on the bridge of their ships, right, and that's why they're able to walk away from that because at their core, right, their captain's first family men second. Because while they're in the chair, they can yeah. make a difference, right? Don't, don't, <laughs> let anything, don't let anything keep you away from that chair, right? And 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 you know, as lame as this movie may be in certain parts, it's a little slow. It may be a little boring. Yes, the death of Kirk may not be what we we wanted it to be <laughs> if we were going to have a death of Kirk. But the conversations that the two of them have on horseback That's good. is incredibly it important, is. I think, to the character of Picard. Oh, yeah. And I think will probably tie into his new show. Yeah. The, the Picard show, you know, takes place in the future and everyone keeps talking about how, well, he'll be an admiral by then or whatever. No, I don't think so. I think it all goes back to that conversation. His experience with Kirk. I think changes who he is and he realizes that he will never leave that chair until he retires. Uh, He may not be in Starfleet anymore in in the Picard show, but I don't think he ever became an admiral. Yeah. Um, Retired to the wine fields of France or whatever. I don't know if he would do that necessarily like he does in the alternate future. Um, I I would, if I was going to guess, I'd say he's probably doing like archaeology, maybe like looking for more Iconian technology or something like that. Him and Vash hooked up again. Yes! Yes! Um, Bring bring her back. And as like, honestly, the new show can bring as many of the original characters back (laughs) as they want. I want Riker to come back and them to be buddies. 
there's there's a little uh, push on Twitter, and I'm so for this, but to have uh, Captain Esri Dax. Oh, I saw that. Um, yes, because she's a captain in the books right now. Yeah, in, in the the beta canon book universe that they yeah. they've been carefully building. It's all consistent with itself and everything. Yeah, um, and so that'd be really cool to see. But for uh, sure. Anyway, so so yeah, so Picard's got his weird history family thing, and then Shatner is at his log cabin or whatever in Iowa. Um, any thoughts on that? Do you ever do you ever think you'd see Kirk want to settle down? I don't know. I think a part of Kirk probably always wanted to have a lady and stay with her. But I don't think it's Antonia. I actually think it's Carol Marcus. Yeah. But, you know, that's just me being a millennial shipping bitch. So, you know. <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> I'm my own harshest critic. Aren't we all? No, but I agree. I, I think that would be more fitting. And I do think, I think the Kirk we see in the show and is very young and brash and irresponsible despite his position. And so in the movies, like seeing him, you know, deal with mortality and aging, like I think there is a older, more mature Kirk that would like to settle down. I think Picard is the one who wants to be a father. He wants to pass down his legacy and Starfleet and everything. Kirk? Seems to me like the type that just wants to be in a relationship forever. He wants to make love all day long and dance in the rain at night. And, you know, he wants to be a solid partner for somebody with whimsical romance constantly following him around. I don't. talking about me or Kirk right now. (laughs) A little bit of me. Derek looked at me like, "Mm, that sounds awful. (laughs) Video games all day long. Derek's more Picard's. Yeah. I am. I'm a little bit more Kirk, I'm and, and I'm it. not proud of it, but I own it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so of Do course, I get to be Janeway? I'm fine with that. Can yeah. I sleep with Chakotay? Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> like, in canon, I don't want to sleep with, you know... I mean, they get to sleep together in the books. Good for them. So yeah. Yeah. I ship it. They built a house together on one episode, one bottle episode. That's true for a little while. Yeah. Anyway, continue generation. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, we're all over. We all are over the place tonight. This is ridiculous. I'm very distracted. So so Picard and Kirk. Uh, Picard convinces Kirk, of course, to come back and help him. But we're missing a whole other side of the story here, which is everything that's happening on the Enterprise. So data and the emotion shift. I mean, that is one of the best subplots. To be honest, like I, I would love to. I would never make this, but I would love to watch a supercut of all the important data moments. Not even like full episodes, but like important data moments and strings throughout Next Generations and on through the movie. Because this emotion ship and the side of data we see is great. Like this movie we said earlier, like there's a collection of really good moments. And for me, like one of the best moments of this movie is data holding spot and like crying and like feeling that. Like, it's funny when you see him experience disgust when he tries alcohol, but, like, like this tearful <laughs> moment where he's reunited with Spot after this traumatic crash, like, like that that was a, an important data moment. You don't realize how intense that happy, sad, scared bundle of emotions really are until you see somebody else go through it, and yeah. then you're like, how would I react? Oh, probably the same way. It holds up so, a mirror. Yeah. And Spiner's performance in that moment absolutely did that. Yeah. But data also serves as really the... The, the one kind of humorous, you know, um, point in the film. Yeah. You know. Uh, I think it was relief. funny him pushing Crusher into the water. Like, <laughs> yeah. How did she not see that coming? Yeah. <laughs> I did. Because it was right. Data and she just didn't think Data would ever shove her, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's the comic relief, you know. He just loves scanning for life forms. <laughs> <laughs> I need 
you know, and, he, and we were talking about this when we watched it because uh, you know he's he's laughing about Jordy's joke from the Farpoint mission, which is the yeah, pilot. Yeah, you know, seven years ago, didn't and it? I really wish that had been in the episode. Yeah, same. I, I, the first time I saw this movie, I went back and rewatched that. And I was what like, Wait, a great no. Easter egg that would have been, right? Yeah. Like, I don't remember a joke like that, but all right, because they hadn't introduced the Ferengi yet. Nobody knew who right. they were, and it's because of people like us who make those connections that have gone on and made new shows have that exact same thing, like Firefly and Serenity connect yes. so much. So you know, and it's because we didn't watch Trek. Like, yeah. he wanted this to already happen. Bold move, killing off your cast. <laughs> like, I know it was going to get retconned. As soon as I saw it happen, I knew immediately it's going to get retconned, but bold story move anyway. I mean, like when the Enterprise blows up? Mm-hmm, yeah. From the Viridian 3 star exploding, or the planet. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Bold move. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, let's I talk. I appreciate that it make me wait a year for... To find out who lives or dies. Yeah, so Marvel, Star Trek did it 24 years ago. Right? And better. Uh, and and they killed off the entire crew. <laughs> just half? Q didn't show up and then erase half of them for fun? Uh, but, uh, but it could have. He could have. So that that part always bothered me a little bit, though, right? Because Picard and Soren get in the Nexus and they're fine. Yeah. So I guess the Enterprise lands just on the wrong side of the planet because the ribbon doesn't quite go through the whole planet. <laughs> Look, it, it's a very small marker. Here's it's about the, two meters wide. But here's the problem with that. If that the good. entire crew... Why would you like that one? That's not much larger than a womp rat. If the entire crew... I used to target those with my T-16 back home. Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> the men are having a laugh over Rachel's probably very... Why the hell are you sorry. laughing at a person killing animals? I'm like not, that Because clear... Star Wars, Rachel. Because Star Wars. Ugh, he's clearly a serial killer. Anyway. <laughs> oh. There's two sons and no women. What am I supposed to do? Okay. This has completely gone off the rails. Off the Yeah. Now, if the entire crew goes into the Nexus, you want to know what they're experiencing. I'd at least want to know what Riker sees, what Troy sees, what Crusher sees. You know, what what Data sees would be the most interesting considering the emotion chip and what they've already set up. But that's the problem, is Mm -hmm. that adds on at least another hour worth of content because as a fan as a viewer you want to consume that i want to consume that right now just talking about it so i feel robbed but what if if they had just not shown the enterprise blow up if they had just shown the 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 ribbon come through and picard and surin disappear and then you'd be wondering what happened to them i I would have assumed the same thing that happened to them they ended up in their own version of the nexus until picard fixed everything yeah right but instead you watch them all get blown up and it's just like, all right. Uh, I it was overly that. dramatic and overly cinematic because they had a big screen production. I, this is one of those situations where this movie probably would have made a better two-part low-budget episode because they would have focused more like on the story. Like Insurrection? Yeah. I mean, I love Insurrection. I, I, I will I will defend Insurrection to the death. I love it. Oh, we'll but, get to yeah. Insurrection. No, insurrection is really good. It's but it is just, just a two-part episode. It's an episode. Yeah. But, Whereas, like, First Contact and Nemesis are movies. Now, one's absolutely. greatly better than the other, but they are... <laughs> all right, let's th- okay. stay on top. We're, we're we'll just get going there. All, all over the place. 
But was there any point where you, when you saw the Enterprise blow up with the little people walking on it and everything, where you thought to yourself, well, I guess they're all dead? No. No. Right. So, I mean. I already said that I knew it was going to get retconned earlier. Yeah, right? So it's kind of like, there's no real point to it. No. There's no emotional punch or anything like that. Um, I do like that they got to use the saucer separation on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we saw That's it a few cool. times on the show. They did it a few times. But it was very slow moving very and Very slow. Dramatic. Small screen stuff. You know, standard death in 1987. Yeah. the joystick. Right. <laughs> no joystick. <laughs> no, no joystick. joystick. Um, so that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's little bits about that fight scene with the Klingon Bird of Prey that have always bothered me. Yeah. Uh, like, I, look, I'm not, I'm no scientist. Okay, and this is pseudoscience because this technology doesn't really exist. But how can a photon torpedo, which they show is a legitimate torpedo that's an actual casing, be set to a particular frequency to go through a shield if it's not energy? Yeah. That's a good question. I have no answer for that. Like if it was phasers, disruptors, fine. Those are energy things that you could adjust, right? Right. But this is a torpedo. You're shooting a physical physical object object, that then explodes on impact like like torpedoes would, right? So it always bothered me that that's what was used. Yeah, that's a valid point. Meh. I hadn't even spent that much time thinking about it because literally the last time I watched it, which was last night, I kind of zoned out by this point. Okay. Well, and then, okay, so they, they, they shoot, they get they get two hits, and Worf immediately says they found a way through our shields. Why is not the first thing you do, after you've known the Borg for a long time, be to rotate the shield harmonics? Yeah, that just seems like good standard standard operating procedure at this point. Right? Like, like because maybe, maybe you're wrong, and that's not the reason. Does it hurt anything to do that? No. Doesn't hurt to try. The shields are already not working. There's 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 1,100 lives in the balance. Just rotate the shields. Okay, so that fight scene always bothered me. Because, yeah, it's a 20-year-old bird of prey that somehow one torpedo destroys, but the phasers can't do anything towards its shields. Yeah. So that that whole battle has always bothered me. Yeah. It ends well. You know, Riker just flat out kills everyone. Yeah, and I like the Dora sisters, but, like, they kind of... This is part of my problem with this movie is they shoehorned way too many things into this one movie. They tried to do too much. They tried mm-hmm. to pass the taunt. They tried to throw in some Klingons. They tried to throw in the Romulans. Uh, the Romulans. They tried, uh, They did a time travel story, or like a you know alternate universe story. Like there was just way too much. And if it would have picked, it could have. It did a bunch of things sort of okay, and it could have picked like two of them and done it very well. Mm-hmm. But they chose not to. No, you're right. But I mean, to be honest, like this is part of the flaw of filming a big major movie while filming season seven of your show that's the big issue right so the same people who wrote the finale mm-hmm. all good things which most people believe to be one of the best episodes of star trek ever made yes are the same people who at the same time were writing and in pre-production for this movie spread that's too thin. a lot of work yeah. i don't care who you are that's hard yeah mm-hmm. okay and they still managed to pull off a movie that's fine it's not horrible it's not the worst no. star trek movie by any stretch i think it, they made their money back but... right you know so i think you know considering they pulled off something really amazing and then something okay is yes. worth noting for sure. Um, so, alright. So they save the day, but we have the big fight scene with the old men punching each other. And Kirk gets killed on the bridge. Now, you mentioned, Ray, that you were not really a big fan of that. It was dumb. It looked like it was a way to shut Shatner up. You know, because if yeah. you keep him around, Shatner's still going to want to play Kirk at times. He's not going to want to let go. So unless you kill him, he's he's done. Like... 
he's or he's not done you know it's one or the other i don't think that kirk's character should have continued much beyond this i think he should have been a side character that appears once maybe twice in other things if they like voyager or um well voyager would have been weird but ds9 definitely he could have appeared and yeah. he would have made through the wormhole interesting situations yeah but shatner's but, not gonna do that no. I I don't care. Like I oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm not picking what's good for Shatner. I'm picking what's good for the character. The character was killed off because Shatner was relentless, right? Yeah, like, I, I mean we don't we don't really know that that's the reason why he had, he had not because well keep in mind they they were doing their own movies. He had never been on the show. He was never on the TNG show, even though Spock, Scotty, and McCoy were right. Right, that's true. He was never on the show. Sulu was on an episode of Voyager. Um, you know, and so Shatner never was and pr- wanted to be involved. And I think when you see all the, your other cast members being involved, can you blame him for wanting to have a piece of it too? That's a fair point. I'm not blaming him for anything. I'm saying that, like, I, in this case, I'm on his side. I right. didn't want Kirk to die in that ridiculous death i i didn't think it was it's a, a worthy way to go out no and it's just another area in which this movie was not like super offensive but but fell short of what it could have been and yeah. so i do feel like there's a parallel to it which unfortunately is in star trek 5 when kirk falls off the mountain right he knew he was going to be okay why is he climbing the mountain? he knew he was going to be all right because he wasn't alone because right. bones and spock were there sure and here he is, basically on another mountain, but he is alone, right? He doesn't have Spock, he doesn't have Bones. He's it's... with this guy he just met. Like... And <laughs> so that's how he dies. And I think that, if you keep that in context, yeah. it's actually kind of interesting. I don't know. I've never been better. a huge fan of characters predicting their own death. Like the the Wolverine, you're going to die with your heart in your hands. Like, Ugh, kills like, me. I, but... that's, that's sweet. Little random okay. mutant, but like it's just I I'm never a fan of that trope. Yeah, I mean I I like the idea that Kirk could only really survive with them. That they're yeah. a package deal, despite his ego. Like he needed them to be who he was. I see it more as an admission of the character saying exactly that that he mm-hmm. needs them yeah rather than it being a real prediction on his death and it was more of just a parallel to that that we see in generations yeah, yeah i mean that's a fair point i never would have drawn that connection but uh yeah. I, I like where you're going with that it, it makes it it makes this movie more palatable i guess a little bit <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough um so we we didn't really talk about jordy um was he in this movie well he i mean <laughs> That's how they he find was a hostage. Yeah, yeah, he was a hostage for a little while. Uh, and th- it was the last time he has the visor, right? It is. It is, yeah. Uh, because of this movie, um, he demanded that if he does another movie, he will not wear a visor. Yeah. Um, because he had a hard time with this one. There's a couple of those action sequences where he like gets hit by Soren and all that kind of stuff. And he had a really hard time just seeing what was going on. Yeah. Uh, and basically said, look, if we're going to keep doing these, we need something else. I need context. You can upgrade me. It's been eight eight years or more than that at this point. But so um, Smart move. LeVar Burton doesn't demand much. So you listen to him when he does. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to take his word for it. Uh 
Um, now, one thing that's probably been talked about to death, but we might as well point out, is the uniform <laughs> situation. Yeah. That bothered yeah, me the most out of everything. It does, yeah. I just, I feel like that was just probably a sloppy oversight due to the filming and writing schedule. Lack of budget. Lack of budget. Mm. So it wasn't an oversight. It was a budgeting issue and a sure. scheduling issue. Okay. So <laughs> they were filming an episode and then he walked onto the set for well, generations. The, so because they were closing down TNG and still filming DS9 and then yeah. filming this, they were really tight on what was available. That makes so sense. So Jonathan Frakes... Is actually wearing Avery Brooks's uniform. Oh man, I did not know that. That's why the sleeves are like rolled up because like they're not yeah. the same size person. Right. <laughs> I mean, they're probably the closest out of they're all of them. Probably close, yeah. Yeah. Although I bet Jordy and Kira could swap. Yeah. Right. Um, Just saying. Well, she was, Kira wasn't wearing a uniform back then. It was a joke, oh. Derek Mayer. Well, I laughed, and then you gave me a look like it wasn't a joke, so I thought I misunderstood. Um, anyway. Yeah, so that always bothered me a little Same. bit that they they were inconsistent. It was a little confusing because yeah. the um, there's always like these kind of like head and explanations for why the uniforms are what they are. Yeah, in Star Trek, you know. So it was first when DS Nine launched. It was well, these must be you know specific for like space stations and not starships. And then we see Voyager. Voyager has the same ones. We're like, well, that wasn't the reason. <laughs> so yeah, that's out the window. <laughs> well, we're gonna see it in Discovery. We are. Yeah. We are. So, you know, it's a phased rollout, right? Because if you watch the movie really closely, I, I didn't really notice before. But Whatever. I one thing. shops at Old Navy and the other <laughs> one's the Gap. <laughs> Well, Jordy, after he comes back and changes, because remember, they watch him bathe. They have to say yeah, that line. Yeah. Then he's in the newer uniform. Right. So it's almost like basically they just, they use the uniforms they have until they have to recycle them and get new ones. Yeah. And then they get the new ones. It's like mm-hmm. a phased rollout. They're like, we're not going to just, like, toss everything. It's just when you need a new uniform, that's what you're going to wear. That's that's my headcanon. That's fair. I'll buy it. Does that work? That sure. works for me. Um, I like stellar cartography, kind of a precursor to astrometrics. Yeah, that was cool. Really, like, in 1994, that was a pretty cool yeah. little display that they put on. Yeah, it was. It was very, it was, it was a good cinematic show. Anything else you guys want to touch on for I Generations? I don't think so. Did we miss we- anything? I think I we touched think on so. all the highlights. So where we, we had as disjointed and messy of a discussion about it as the movie was disjointed was, and messy. The movie's a little disjointed. Uh, Guinan, of course, is is a nice to see. Absolutely. God, Whoopi Goldberg was gorgeous. Like mm-hmm. it's so weird because uh, on the view, she's very much relaxed. She's not made up. She's wearing comfy clothes. She's doing her thing. But it, as Guinan, she she was gorgeous. Like she looked amazing. It's like she just walked off the mm-hmm. set of Ghost. <laughs> um, no, it was really good to have her have you know with a role in this because I mean, yeah, she's at the wedding in Nemesis, yeah, you know, but otherwise, this is really the this last that you see her, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. Um, and you know, we've I've talked about this on the show before that I just you know want wanted more from her from from her background. We all want say. more from Guinan. You know, I want her to pour me some synthahol and talk to me about my problems in a way that Troy wouldn't be able to. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean Troy. Troy and uh, uh, Beverly don't really have much to do in this movie. Yeah, they're, they're both kind of just Troy crashed the ship. I mean, she saved the ship, but I mean, know. she saves the ship. Yeah, um, I mean, she's written better in this movie than like the first half of TNG, right? So, which according to the behind the scenes stuff was mostly her fault because like not to v- blame her for it, but like the writers were writing good stuff for the other actors who were like showing up and like 
adding their own creative elements to it, but she was just like, oh, just write whatever. So they didn't really know how to write her for a while. Yeah, she was letting them just do it on their own and, yeah, you know, instead um, of contributing like the other actors oh, did. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that I think that's a sign of the writers then creating a character they didn't know what to do with. Yes. Right? Like, I, I, I it's not that it's bad for an actor to have say in their character, but, no. you know, you should probably know what you, should you intend framework. the character yeah. to be. Right? There, there's some Which, onus there, but... I mean, that's just the difference of television now versus then. Now you have um, episodic um, storytelling that, you know, has a, a start, finish, and end. Uh, whereas back then it was just bottle shows, and so here was this character that they would figure, they could they could write her in and figure out what to do with her later. Yeah. Now we don't have that luxury. It's like if you're going to kill someone three episodes in, you better set it up in the pilot. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, f- fun facts about the movie: the Enterprise B is actually the Excelsior model, oh. and uh, the reason it looks the way it does is because they needed to damage it. They didn't want to actually damage the Excelsior model because they reuse it a lot. Yeah. Um, and so they added these other pieces that they could then damage right. without hurting the real model. Practical. So there's a little something for you. Very practical. Right there. I always found that kind of interesting. I like it. Um, so where would you guys put this one? Yeah, I mean, if you, you could give it a letter grade. You can give it a ranking in, in the films. Where do you feel Generations lands for you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, probably the lower half of everything. The problem is there's just a lot of good stuff in there. And I jumped on board the Trek fandom with the 09 film. So I am slightly more connected to the Chris Pine cast than I am any other cast. And maybe that'll change as I delve even deeper. But... You know, that kind of stuff just has a place in my heart because that's where I started. Yeah, I get that. This is middle of the road for me. Like I said, when we first started recording, like, it, this movie is just, it's unoffensive. It's very inoffensive, however you say that. It's, uh, it didn't bother me, but it didn't really excite me either. So, yeah. a, lot of good, a lot of good pieces. Much more excited to talk about First Contact. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I put it, at least if you talk about the TNG movies, it's number four <laughs> for me. Until they come out with another one. Um, you know, uh, it really is. It's, a, it's at the bottom of the TNG movies for me. Easily. Um, you know, look, it's better than The Final Frontier. I think that that's mm-hmm. fair uh, to say. I, I like it better than Into Darkness. Um, I think an argument could be made that it's better than the motion picture simply because the motion picture is so slow. Yeah. And boring is beautiful and mechanically well done. It's a very Technically very well point. done, the motion picture is. Um, it's a hard one to watch. Yep. Generations is an easier viewing. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's definitely lower on the list of the, of the films. That's for sure. So, not the best thing you know that the the franchise has. But next week we will be talking about Star Trek: First Contact, which I am stoked to talk about. I love that movie so much. Happy um, to have an excuse to watch it again. I tell people like if you've never watched anything Star Trek ever, like of the old Star Trek, mm-hmm. the, you know, prime Star Trek, that just watch First Contact. Yeah, start there. Because if you don't like First Contact, you're probably not going to like anything else. No. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, thank you for tuning in, everybody, for this one. Um, guys, where can people reach out and find you out in the social media-verse? I'm Siren Ray. I'm a cosplayer, and it's S-I-R-Y-N, like the X-Men. And you're also on Screen Heroes with me and yeah, Costume I'm Couture. Yeah, I'm a huge part of the HBN. So, you know, if you didn't hate this, maybe listen to some of those shows. I don't mm-hmm. know. Zach? I don't know. Uh, I'm at Avengers ES on Twitter. Uh, that's a good way to reach me. I don't really tweet much, but uh, 
I'm there. But you're there. I'm there. Just doing my thing. Um, yeah. And I mean, look forward to a podcast with me and Ray talking about uh, Avatar in the near future. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. It's in the development phases. See if we can get it out there. We, we, we need to publish a production photo of like me and her in, in a writer's room just like, you know, pointing and like... It's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter. Of course, you can find the show at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter, or you can follow the Heroes Podcast Network as a whole at Heroes Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch, as well as heroespodcasts.com. Um, I'm on Screen Heroes uh, on the network as well with Ray. We've got plenty of other shows like Echo Station, our new Star Wars show, Gamer Heroes, which is about video games. So please check us out. We appreciate it. And next week we will be back to talk Star Trek First Contact. Woo! Yay. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.